Welcome back to the On the Brink podcast. I am super excited to have my best friend of 20 years with me today, Lauren. She is a dental hygienist. She is my one of my best friends of all time, and I'm just so excited to have her on here. So, hey, Lauren. Hey, Emily. Yes, thank you for having me. I feel like not many people get to come on to a podcast with someone they've known for about 20 years. So girl, we have made it through some times. <laughs> I know we met in kindergarten. Well, we lived in the same neighborhood growing up and then we were in kindergarten together. But then after that, we never had a single class together. Um, we went to elementary school and middle school together and then did not go to the same high school, did not go to the same college, not even in the same state. Um, and have lived in, we've lived in opposite parts of the country, you know, for the last, I don't even know how many years, at least three, right? Yes. Oh my gosh. Different states, different cities, different schools, only one class, Little Miss Erickson. <laughs> but we made it. <laughs> we made it. We're here. Um, Lauren is, you know, someone that I don't get to talk to you know, on a daily basis or weekly basis, but she's one of those friends where you just talk on the phone when you can, and it feels like nothing has changed. And, um, you know, and that you're just picking right back up where you left off. And to me, those are the best kinds of friendships. And I'm just so grateful to have Lauren in my life. And I'm just excited that she agreed to come on the podcast. Yes, I feel like my out of state friends, they are so patient with me. <laughs> you know, my communication flaws, but I have to say every time I'm ringing Emily up on the phone, it is so entertaining. I have like a mundane life, but her life, she always has a story. She's always got something going on. So I'm so thankful she hasn't left me in the dust. <laughs> oh my God. But yeah. Can't believe kindergarten is here and we're still communicating and we're almost never near each other. So I would say that's pretty awesome. Exactly. Oh, it totally is. Um, but you're, I would not say you have a mundane life. That is not true. <laughs> I highly disagree. Um, Lauren, we're going to get into her, her journey, her path um, in a minute. But yeah, she is a dental hygienist um, and she does not have a boring life. She has a million interesting things going on all the time. So so don't, don't sell yourself short, Lauren. I think maybe being in quarantine has made me feel that way. But when you look at my whole history, I guess it's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself to my listeners who know nothing about you for the majority of them, I would say. Yes. So um, first of all, Emily, I'm loving the podcast. It is so awesome. And being in our 20s, I always tell my friends, this is the time for your quarter life crisis. All your friends, no one really knows what's going on. Everyone's doing something different. I feel like every few months, all my friends have a new job or they're living somewhere new or they're moving. Or they have a new love interest. It's just such an interesting pivotal point in life. And it's a great idea that your podcast really focuses on um, such a cool time. So thank you for that. 
Um, I'm currently a, yes, a practicing dental hygienist in the state of Oklahoma. I'm working for the Indian Health Service right now, but um, I've been all over. My patients here, they ask me, you know, where are you from? And that's just such a question. It's so hard for me to answer because I'm kind of all over the place. I've worked in Illinois. I went to school at The Ohio State in Ohio, um, randomly moved to Wyoming, and I am now, um, I would consider myself, I guess, a public health dental hygienist at this point. Um, kind of my goal is to focus more on the public health aspect of my career, um, and I'm slowly but surely making my way there, but um, that's pretty much where I am and what I'm doing for right now, besides, you know, being a 20-something-year-old and not having all the answers, but you know, that's kind of part of this podcast is hearing people's um, different sides of life. So I love that. Yeah. No, you have a very, very unique path that I want to highlight for sure, because you, like you said, you've lived in a bunch of different states and you've done a whole bunch of different things um, and you've traveled a lot and you have a lot of stories. So I definitely want you to share some of these crazy stories that you have. Um, but what made you want to work for the Indian Health Service, particularly? Because I know that that's something that you had wanted to do for a long time. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, oh my gosh, it's been a journey. So senior year of hygiene school in Ohio, I started to get this idea that I wanted um, a federal job and I really wanted to work for either underserved populations or work somewhere where there's not a lot of access to dental care. Um, and dental hygiene has a lot of great perks in terms of like pay and time off and things like that. Um, but I just more so wanted to get on the side of dental hygiene where um, you're helping communities in need. So even before graduating, I just continued and continued to apply to these federal positions. And it was a struggle because I had no experience and a lot of the jobs wanted about two years of experience. Some of them said specialized experience, which I definitely didn't have that. Um, so I got pretty discouraged, but I pretty much kept applying. There's a couple really cool perks with federal jobs as well. One being, um, you know, you're licensed in whatever state you have a license in. Um, so, you know, traveling to a different state for work is a little bit easier because otherwise I'd have to submit like an expensive application and it could take months. Um, you know, another perk is the location. So you could pretty much look at these job openings and find an area that might be cool to you. Um, Indian Health Service, there's some more remote areas. They do have some urban areas, urban clinics. So just seeing that and, you know, just the wide variety of jobs that you could accept uh, was pretty awesome. And the, the main draw, like I already kind of touched on, was just the community outreach factor. So when I practiced in, um, I guess I've so I'm licensed in Ohio, Illinois, and Wyoming at this point. And uh, working in private dentistry, um, it has its perks. And I definitely learned a lot. But um, I definitely also learned that that's not entirely what I want. So my job now allows me to um, kind of do, we do some health fairs. We do school screenings. Um, you know, I have some plans. I'm working with my supervisor for the future, some new ideas. So um, essentially it keeps things interesting and you're trying to kind of better a population. 
Um, so it was a long process, but I finally got a job. So now I'm in Oklahoma and um, I've loving it. I've actually, in April, I had my one year anniversary. So this is the first time in a while that I've been somewhere for a year. So that's a pretty good sign that I'm liking it here and that it's doing me well. But it was a long process to get here. Yeah, well, that's awesome that you got um, where you wanted to be, you know, for now. So it was definitely like a path for you. I know that it was not like, oh, immediately, <laughs> you know, you were doing exactly what you wanted to do. And it's always, you know, kind of a journey, I think, not just for you, but like for everybody in their 20s. Even if you have this goal, you know, you are not most likely going to just be like out of school and then all of a sudden hitting your goal. Exactly. Like if you could have told me like two years ago, I'd be in Oklahoma, you know, working a federal position. I've been like, oh my gosh, that's so random. Or, you know, even telling my graduating self about Wyoming, you know, at this age, it's, you can be changed by the littlest things and you may feel the same, but at one point in your life, you're never expecting what's coming to the future. And when in your twenties, that happens so fast. So looking back just a year or just two years, I'm just like, that's a lot of change, but yeah, it's, it's kind of scary, but, um, it's also a pretty cool to be able to have the privilege to make those life changes and those decisions. Yeah, but you made some smart choices by like living at home and starting your career like really strong um, and getting those good references and probably making good money. I don't know exactly what the <laughs> details, but, but like you were saving money at least by living at home with your family and or not. It doesn't have to be home, but living yeah. with your family. Um, and then, and then from there, you were able to kind of make that decision. And I know a lot of people our age have to, you know, move home for a period of time before they can really go out and do what they want. I'm not one of those people, even, I mean, I'm stuck with my family <laughs> right now at home. Um, kind of a choice, kind of not. Um, but I never like permanently moved home and that's just because of the way that things worked out but i think it's really actually pretty common for people to to save money and be at home for a period of time and kind of figure it's a good time i think to navigate and figure out what you want to do while saving money and then and then be able to go off and do what you want and um you know i didn't have to do that but i'm just highlighting that because that is something that you did yeah um so right when i graduated I did what they call temping, which is a cool feature of being a hygienist. Um, you essentially go to like a new office every day as they need you, like if someone calls in sick. And that was awesome because I could really start to learn what I wanted to look for in an employer. Um, after I realized I wasn't really probably going to get a public health position anytime soon because I had no experience, I made the decision to go back home. I found an awesome private practice to work for. And it really, it really, like I understand now why they wanted two years experience at my current job, but you learn so much. I think many professions can say that, but you learn so much outside of school. And so, um, I was so blessed to, you know, again, not to pay rent. I finally got a got my first car and I was like, okay, this is awesome. Um, I would say the most pivotal moment in my twenties was, um, I took a very short two week 
um, overseas trip to Cambodia on like a dental serving type of trip. And that's really when it hit me, like, I got to go chase my dreams. I got to do what I want to do. And yes, like you said, I had been able to save up living at home. Um, and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to live in Wyoming. I had an aunt and uncle that lived there and it was so beautiful and so empty. And, you know, if I wasn't going to have my dream job right then and there, I wanted to at least love where I was living. So I was got back from Cambodia. I was like, oh my gosh, I love my job, but I got to make that change. So I think I drove I drove to Wyoming. I looked at an apartment. I was like, yes, I love it here. The cost of living is so low. It's gorgeous. Um, and then I pretty much shortly after that moved to Wyoming. Um, I wasn't even licensed in the state yet. That was like a two to three month process, which was obnoxious, but um, I just remember having my little resume and cover letter, and um, I lived in a smallish town. I would say it's big for Wyoming, but small for most other people, and I went to every single dental office, and I, you know, asked to speak to the owner and the manager, and uh, it's way different than, you know, Illinois, where you just apply online. There's so many jobs open, but um, it ended up working really well, and you know, I stuck with it. I continued to apply for federal positions. Um, I loved my time in Wyoming. It was gorgeous. I met some really nice people. And I also learned that I love pediatric dentistry. So um, I got to work at a pediatric clinic and I was terrified. I think I was shaking the first day. What are children and what do I do? And I ended up loving it. So I could really add that to my, that specialized experience to my resume and make sure my next employer there on out kind of knew I really enjoyed working with kiddos. So um, scary, scary stuff to do. But like you said, staying at home, being able to save up and really kind of figure out what I wanted to do was definitely helpful and much needed. <laughs> For sure. I just remember... When you first moved out to Wyoming, I, I could be wrong, but I have this like distinct memory of um, talking to you on the phone shortly after you had moved, maybe like a few weeks in. And I was living in Bloomington again, which was weird because I had graduated, gone out to Massachusetts, and then I was back like yes. working for this position just for like one month. And I was living in like the other side of a house that I had lived in in my undergrad. It was weird. Um, but I remember distinctly calling you on the phone and you had just moved to Wyoming and like didn't have a job lined up and you didn't have your license yet. And I know that you were freaked out by that. And, and I knew that it was going to work out. Like I, I just did because Lauren works really hard and, you know, puts herself out there and she was trying, she was doing everything. So I knew that it would eventually work out, but I know that in that moment it was probably very scary and uncertain, but it did, it did end up working out. So good news there. Yes. Um, Emily and I are some hardworking ladies and, um, Yes, actually, there was this very, very, it's still so distinct, and it sits very heavy with me. This, I think it was almost exactly two weeks, but this period where um, I went into kind of, I guess I would say like a depression, and I was like, what have I done? What am I doing? Um, so 
you know, I always forget to talk about this. It's not always sunshine and rainbows. It's, it's hard work. You know this, Emily, and it's really scary. And I think the fact that I couldn't get a dang license for so long and that way I couldn't even look for jobs. I'm like, what am I doing here? Is this really what I want to do? Um, but I am just so thankful for all my friends, um, and family, um, like you, Emily, my sister was a huge contact for me at the time as well, just to be able to talk about our life experiences and, everyone was so reassuring, like, don't worry about it. Like, you know, worst case scenario, isn't that bad. And, um, that would be one of my main pieces of advice for people, I guess, brings me to that idea. Um, you know, the worst case scenario for, um, a lot of people, I mean, I guess if you're privileged enough is not usually the end of the world. So especially in your twenties, there's not too much to risk. Um, I'm a very much, I think of the worst case scenario always. And I think that's always what's going to happen. And I would think about it and I go, okay, it's not even that bad. So, um, it really allows you to risk it and, you know, go for what you want to do. But yeah, it was definitely a very dark time. I was super freaked out. I think I moved, I was really excited and then it really all just set in. And so, um, I'm sure other people in their twenties may have a similar experience, but um, it was hard to get out of, but you know, eventually I was just like, it's going to work out. And if it doesn't, we're on to the next thing. You know, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I can say that, but I know not everyone can. Um, but yeah, it was scary, but you use your friends and family, um, to support you and lift you up. And it worked out as you had reassured. (laughs) It always does. And that I agree with your advice. I think that sometimes as negative as it is to think about the worst case, it also might open your eyes up to realize that it, you know, you have backup plans or you should, you should like have a spectrum here. Like, okay, it could work out best case, what it looks like. And then if it doesn't worst case, what that looks like, oftentimes it's somewhere in between. It's not always like the best or the worst. It's something in the middle. Um, and you know, I totally relate to that, like in finding my jobs when I didn't have anything lined up and then it slowly kind of all came together. But, but yeah, if you think about the worst case and you realize that it's not the end of the world, um, it might be bad, (laughs) but you can find a way, find a way around it, um, and find the silver linings. And then you hope that that actually doesn't happen, that it's not your worst case. But yeah, I agree with your, with your advice. I think that's very helpful. So now I want to move on to something a little more lighthearted because I, we're, we're talking about all these serious things, but Lauren is not the most serious person all the time. <laughs> so um, I want to, I want to hear some of Lauren's uh, dental stories. I don't know if these are going to be horror stories or fun stories. I have no idea. I would be surprised like my listeners right now, but I know that Lauren has stories, so I'm intrigued. Yes. One, there is one that I tell, I think I've told almost everyone I come across who brings up anything dental. So a big thing that I encounter is people that are really embarrassed. Um, A lot of patients will say, oh my gosh, I haven't been in years. Like it's going to be awful. Um, Or I have people, and it's kind of sad, they'll ask me like, you know, am I the worst one you've ever seen? 
And I go, oh, absolutely not. And the cool thing about dentistry is that there's so much technology and innovation always occurring. There's almost not a single dental problem we cannot solve. So I think people come in not knowing how, how many options there are for treatment and they, they get embarrassed and they think it's the worst mouth I've ever seen or looked at. Um, there's really no such thing, you know, never a problem we can't solve, you know, from you could have 32 teeth, you could have extra teeth, you could have no teeth, we got a solution for you. So, um, you know, that's my one hope. I hope that people don't really ever feel like that. Um, for that reason, I don't have anything that I would consider a bad, um, like a really bad mouth or something like that. I think everyone has what they have and we work for a solution. Um, but I do have a situation from hygiene school that I think it was the most shocking thing. And I think it was the thing I didn't know really how to respond or what to do. And it's just a unique story, I guess you could say. But so I'm still in hygiene school. You know, I'm not uh, too great at what I'm doing, but we get a lot of instruction. And we partner up with dental students because um, where I went to school, it's also with the dental school. So um, you know, if they need you to do something, they'll come and approach you and ask you. So I had a lovely dental student come up to me and say, you know, hey, I have this patient, um, you know, there's only six teeth, it should be really easy for you. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I could use that, like a little break from the, the standard <laughs> um, amount of teeth, you know, maybe it won't. He only had six teeth? Yes, this person only had six teeth, was what I was told. I go, okay, that'll be great. You know, um, maybe I'll go quicker. You know, they give us about six hours per patient in hygiene school. So I was like, maybe, I, you know, I'll prove myself to be good this time. So I go on over, you know, sweet little patient. And, um, you know, I'm like, okay, okay, well, you know, let's take a look around. And I'm looking and I go, okay, you know, Nothing, like I said, nothing is bad, but um, this is the first time I've really seen uh, a lot of buildup, most I've probably ever seen still in my life. And, you know, I think those, those six teeth, while it was only six, they may have been the six hardest teeth I've ever had to clean in my life. And I go, you know, let's talk about some things. I go, you know, brushing and flossing, what's that looking like? Because that in my head, I'm going, I'm not sure that's happening at all, but well, I always like to get a story so we can work towards a solution. And, you know, sweetest thing, and she tells me, well, you know, my roommate uh, steals my toothbrush, so I can't use it. I go, oh, no. I go, well, what can we do? Let's, you know, is there somewhere we can put your toothbrush? I can give you one today. Is there somewhere we can put your toothbrush where someone um, is not going to take it? And she goes, oh, no, I tried storing it under my bed, and my roommate will come under my bed and get my toothbrush. So I think it's, you know, cases like that where you just have to understand you can't save the world. You can try. I tried to work towards a solution, but I realized that day not everyone really wants to get uh, a toothbrush. <laughs> so... I think that was this. I tell that story so that you know people are like, "Oh, is it the worst?" Listen, as long as you're trying, we're not going to have any problems, you know. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of people that you need in hygiene school. Um, just you know, people who don't really have as much access to dental care, and that's why they're coming to an educational facility. 
Um, and I think that's great training for dentists and dental hygienists. That's where we see a big bulk of the toughest cases. And that way, when we get out to um, either the private sector or like me in the public health sector, um, nothing, nothing frightens you. Nothing seems alarming. Nothing seems too difficult. Um, but I will never forget that moment looking at those teeth and hearing about that uh, toothbrush. So. <laughs> Oh my I think that's my wildest story. <laughs> I know you have a bunch because you've definitely shared many of your your stories, but like I could never I could never picture myself doing anything like that. Like being in someone's mouth all day that is bad enough. <laughs> Even for a good patient. Yeah, it is. I know. And you know, it's, I see some people and I go, wow, this is a piece of cake. And I'm I'm almost seeing some people I go you know, I don't have to do much at all, but, um, that's not often the case, unfortunately, but, um, I just remember before you go to hygiene school, you have to observe for 20 hours and the very, very, very first patient that I observed and the hygienist I was observing did not know. I don't think she had seen this patient before either, but, um, it was a condition called black hairy tongue. Uh, there's a couple things that can cause it. It looks like what it sounds like. <laughs> and I just remember after the patient left, she looks at me, she goes, oh my gosh, this is the first patient you've ever seen. She goes, I swear it's not always going to be this way. I go, oh, you know, like I actually find it interesting to see all the different things that can happen in the mouth. So to me, it was really cool. And I think at that moment, I was like, this is probably the right profession for me if that didn't bother me at all. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, you're definitely doing the right thing for you. From a lot of people, no, but but I applaud you. Like we need we need people like you, because otherwise who's gonna be our dental hygienist? But it's not gonna be me ever. Um no. <laughs> I I just have to go in to see my dentist. I wish you were around. I wish you could help because I uh, I would love to see you instead of whoever I normally see. But uh, I my dentist like closed. I after I came back like for that week of like vacation in March, I had scheduled a dentist appointment. I was like coming home to get appointments in really, um, and you know take a break. But I had, yes. I had like gotten in to see my dentist but the week after they like shut down so i think yeah reopened um but i may need to go get a cavity filled unfortunately i have a lot of baby cavities so i tell my patients like i've had two root canals i've had some weird i've, I've had a oral surgery like i can tell them about everything which is good i guess not good for me and my wallet but it's fine <laughs> Well, you but, helped me. Um, you helped me a lot when I had um I had a very weird reaction to some tooth. Yeah, and so. uh, I was sending lots of pictures and describing my condition to Lauren over the phone, and I think yeah, I I think it was really just like a bad reaction to a new kind of toothpaste with some different kind of fluoride in it, but it freaked me out. So I'm glad that I was able to consult with you. Yes, there's all sorts of weird things, and I see patients, and I'll point stuff out to them that they've never even seen, and they're like, oh, well, now I know. I was like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so many things can happen, but I love talking about teeth, so, you know, I know some of your um, stars, or how do I want to say it, who you've had on the my podcast? Guests, my guests. <laughs> 
Yes, some of your, your stars, your guests. They, they would love to they be offer stars. <laughs> yes, well, they're stars to me. I know you had someone offering interview advice and someone offering, you know, a free book. But, you know, if anyone needs teeth advice, <laughs> I, will, I will answer any questions and all questions. So, um, Emily, make that happen. Hit me up. <laughs> we will. Yeah, we'll put your email or something out yeah. there after this is out we'll we'll make it happen or you can just reach out to me and i'll reach out to lauren for you that also worked <laughs> i had another question though about um this profession i was trying to come up with some questions about um your field and i know nothing i'm ignorant about it so i love hearing it from you but uh I want to know what it's like working as a 25 year old woman in this industry. Like, do you find that there are a lot of other female dental hygienists? Um, I feel like in my experience, I have seen a lot of female dental hygienists, but a lot of male dentists. And I just want to see what your take on, on that is. Yeah, I would say your observation is uh, pretty much correct. Um, most hygienists are females and um, in our graduating class we had one male um and it's it's kind of i think it's kind of the opposite of other professions there's some women-based professions out there i think nursing may have similar things happening but um it's almost assumed that like your female is the assistant or the hygienist um and i think people a lot of times assume a male will be the dentist so um, I've worked with some male hygienists, um, and some patients will call them, you know, their dentist. Um, but I've also seen kind of the other way around for them. Um, I think hiring sometimes can be a challenge, um, and some patient responses to having a male hygienist um, aren't always polite or correct. Um, I think sometimes as females also, we get some not going to lie, some creepy patients. And so I've had it where if you are working with a male, they will get people that say, you know, I want a female to call on the phone and say, I want the female hygienist. Um, and those people get the male hygienist because it sounds a little creepy to me. <laughs> yeah. But so it, it kind of works having, you know, both types. Um, as with every profession, I think it'd be wonderful if, you know, everything could be 50-50 um, to get to a point where you're not assuming a hygienist is female. Um, it's engraved in, even in my mind. You know, a lot of times when I hear about a doctor or a dentist, my first reaction is to use the pronoun he. Like if I'm asking a question, like someone says, blah, 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 I went to my doctor, blah, blah, blah. And my first response, unfortunately, is to want to go, what did he say? But, you know, I'm to the point where I'm correcting myself and it's, you know, sad that I have to do that, but I, it's just representation and who you see. So now we are luckily seeing a lot more female dentists, I'm sure doctors and other professions as well in higher education. Um, but even on my, I'm on a bunch of like forums, like Facebook pages for dental hygiene and um, it kind of like strikes a chord or like strikes my nerves, whatever the term is, uh, when I see a post and the post starts with ladies, comma, um, knowing very well that there are, and there's very active male members on these pages as well. So um, even within the profession, it's, it's female dominated, but there's definitely male hygienists. And um, I think luckily more and more we're seeing that. Um, it's a 
I would say pretty well paid profession, minimum education, um, and, you know, awesome benefits of like time off in terms of things like that. So I think we are starting to see more males, but it would be nice to see 50-50, but I think there's perks to being male and female, um, but also cons to that as well. For sure. Yeah. And I figured that you probably have dealt with harassment um, in the past, like because you it, you're one on one with a patient and there always seems to be I mean, I don't think harassment's limited to one on one, but I think that, you know, you're you could definitely encounter that in a very bad kind of dangerous sort of way dealing with that. Um, so I'm curious if you've dealt with that. Yeah, luckily, I don't have any terrible stories. Um, but again, being on these hygiene forums online, I do see you know sexual harassment from patients being reported. Um, and I think starting off in a profession or being young, and this goes for many situations, especially as a female, it's intimidating and it's hard to know how to stick up for yourself. But I'm just so blessed that these hygienists are sharing their experiences online for everyone to see so that I can think about it in my head and then know how to react if something were to happen. A lot of hygienists, they say in the heat of the moment, you know, they laugh it off, you know, they pretend they didn't hear something um, or, you know, they just just say, I don't want to see this patient next time. But um, then they say, you know, if, I were, if this were to happen to me again, I would just say that's absolutely not acceptable. I would sit the patient up. We would dismiss the patient completely from the practice. So um, it's cool to know that there's a right way and a wrong way to go about how to treat a situation like that. But I think in the moment that stuff can be really scary and intimidating. You don't want to cause violence. You don't want to, you know, anything to worsen. But I think as females, you know, hearing these stories more and more, uh, we have to know a better way to kind of react to a situation like that, that unfortunately happens. So um, luckily I haven't had to deal with that directly. Um, I only had one, I think in school, I had a patient that became really aggressive. And suddenly when the male instructor came over, he was super polite and I go, okay. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that that story I definitely remember. It makes me oh mad. My gosh. I was in tears um, over a story of my life. But just to see that directly, I was guess, oh man, this is how it's really going to be. But um, yeah, like I think, and I think this goes for a lot of things, like in the running community, I've seen this as well. But women, especially, yada, yada, yes, other people get harassed. But women, especially, um, sharing their stories so that. Uh, me, I, I know that these things happen. I know how I can react better in a situation, but uh, you know, to also make it aware that this stuff is really happening. You know, I think about like our parents and how there was no social media. There was no, you know, telling, broadcasting your story for everybody. You know, a basic person just living in a little town would have had no platform really. So um, I think that's an awesome thing that social media has brought about. Um, and I am very thankful for that. But it does happen. It hasn't happened to me. And it better not. But I'm ready if it does. <laughs> I'm actually going to do a podcast episode in season two about harassment. And, um, you know, these are the kinds of stories I want to share and just raise awareness about it. Because I can name like 10 different instances yes. for my own self. 
And I know that everyone else has those stories too. So it'll be very interesting um, on that future episode to kind of bring this up and talk about it more in depth. So I will save all of that more in-depth discussion for, for that episode. But you brought up running. Um, and that's something that I know you are so good at and you impress me all the time. And so I just want to bring up um, the idea or the topic of of finding hobbies in your 20s and finding ways. And I think this is especially relevant today with coronavirus and like finding things to do to keep busy that are not like watching Netflix, which, hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but, you know, now two and a half months into quarantine, you're probably kind of sick of Netflix anyway. So just finding hobbies. And I know that running is definitely one a pretty serious one for you, Lauren. Yes. Um, I was never a runner ever. And I grew up, a lot of my high school friends were runners. They were on the cross country and the track, but I was a dancer. I was a competitive dancer, but growing older, you know, it's not too accessible to be going to really good dance classes all the time, you know, especially the places that I'm living. So I was like, I need something to get my energy out because dance would get out so much energy. And I felt like, I just needed something where I could use that same amount of energy, maybe in a different way. One of my favorite things about dance is was the music, how you could combine music and movement and working out. So um, I thought, Renny, okay, you have your headphones, you can jam out, you can pick your own pace, do whatever the heck you want, go wherever you want to go. You don't need a gym membership, you don't need to buy equipment, you know, just want to have some shoes and. Um, I was like, okay, I'll try it out. I'll try it out. Um, I ran a little bit in college. I ran a half marathon and that was like kind of my biggest event. And then um, I do less and less running. I'm kind of on and off with it. And then I get to Wyoming where the altitude is it's like 7,000 feet to start. So I try running and I just can't, like, I cannot breathe. It is so tricky. Um, a lot of like uh, really professional runners will actually move to Colorado to train in the altitude. So um, Wyoming just was even more than that. So I was like, oh my, this is just too tough. So I ended up joining, you know, a woman's hiking group through Facebook and I was able to meet so many wonderful people that way. Um, my best friend in Wyoming, Maria, I met her on, on the Facebook as well. And so instead of running, I was doing some hiking. Um, Wyoming is probably one of the most scenic places that you'll find in America or the USA, I should say. So um, that was awesome. And to have a community of women, I think is super important um, for anyone who's moved somewhere and you don't know, you don't have really a group of women um, to be with um, and you, you know, you're scared, you're intimidated. I would say that's a great place to start. Um, you're in people that have kind of experienced the same fears as you and things like that. And um, they welcome you with open arms and all of my experiences. So Facebook has been an awesome resource for that. So I'll encourage anyone to just type in something you might think you might like, like hiking, kayaking, whatever, and then group and then find that way. Um, so then I moved to Oklahoma and way back down in elevation, I can run again. So I actually end up living near um, a trail system. So one of the things about Oklahoma that I was a little wary about is that there's not going to be mountains. You know, it's not going to be Wyoming, basically. But there's tons of lakes and rivers and, oh, just so many cool um, 
foresty areas and parks and things like that. Um, so there was an awesome trail system where I'm living currently. And I just started to kind of run on that trail. And I eventually found a group uh, near me that's a female trail running group. And gosh, they're just all so inspirational and they're so accepting of everybody. Um, I, it's, they do these runs where it's called no drop runs and it's basically no one's left behind. <laughs> so my big thing was I was never a runner. I'm so slow. You know, I'm just letting you guys know. And they're like, Oh, don't worry about it. You know, um, we have runners of all levels and they were not lying. It is truly a group for everybody. So I was so blessed to find them. Um, I do, I've done multiple races now here, trail races, um, so yeah, I would say finding a hobby in your twenties, is kind of funky because you might not be really good at something. Um, like I didn't do running in high school and I never really worked on something like that and excelled in it, but, um, finding a sport like running where you can start. So, um, unexperienced and then still be able to participate in events is just really cool. Um, trail running, especially there's a lot of hiking involved because you're going up and down, up and down constantly. So it's not constantly running or sprinting. Um, and it's, to me, it doesn't, it's not all about first place, second place, your time. It's more about the scenic area, you know, how much elevation do you want to gain on this run? And you know, who's doing this? And it's a lot of fun at the races. There's really good food involved for people that like that. Um, it's just such a good scene and to be able to see all these beautiful parts of Oklahoma when I was so unsure about how it would compare to Wyoming, um, has really been a blessing, but I have to give all the credit to my, the Facebook, um, you know, women groups that I'm a part of and how supportive they've all been. Um, it helps me find new places and meet new people. And in a time where you move somewhere and you know, literally nobody, um, it's so, so important to be able to establish connections. Um, and the fact that I picked a sport that I can do in quarantine makes me very happy. <laughs> so it's been truly a blessing, but I'm definitely no pro runner, but I a hundred percent call myself a runner and a trail runner. And, um, I encourage people to go to the internet, go to Facebook and find a group of something that you might think is interesting, things that aren't even athletic, but, um, you know, just groups of people who share an interest and you don't have to be an expert in that subject and you don't have to be super good at it. These people love to teach and to talk about it. So it's really scary, like the first and maybe even second time you do it, but at the end of the whole event, you come back and you're like, I think the whole way home from my first group run and my first group hike, I was like, Oh my gosh, like life's going to be okay. <laughs> oh, well, first of all, good for you for doing this for running and hiking and being adventurous. That's amazing. Um, and second of all, yes, these Facebook groups, I didn't even know that, you know, groups like that existed. And I think, it's really helpful if you're worried about moving somewhere and you don't, you don't know anyone and you're, you're thinking like, how in the world am I going to meet someone? You know, I think nowadays, like you think, oh, you can meet strangers to date through like these dating apps, but yeah. you can't just like meet a friend. Yeah. I guess there's like a, a friend version maybe of like Bumble. I've seen that before, like a dating app, but with the friend 
aspect. And I think that's weird. And I would be hesitant to do something like that. But like a community on Facebook is something different. And I think that would be appealing to a lot of people uh, who don't know anyone. So yeah, that's awesome. And I don't know how it is to move somewhere and not know anyone because I, I mean, sort of yes and no, but I was going for school purposes and like school is kind of an automatic way to meet people. And I think in your twenties, it's hard because we all are used to, if you went to college, you're used to meeting your friends in college. And then if you go to grad school, you meet some more friends in grad school. It's pretty much like instant friends or at least instant acquaintances. Um, so you know, you have that, but if you're like, or you can meet friends through like your employment, but if you don't have a job where you're working with a lot of people, if you don't work in a big office or in a big community of people, you might want something else. So that, yes, Facebook groups are great. That's perfect. Yes. Would, would you say when you went to Colorado, would you say it was similar because you also had a group of people kind of in the same boat as you? Yeah, I think being in Colorado, like, and working for one specific company on a very isolated mountain, it bonds you like instantly with the other interns yeah. that you're working with. And then just the other staff members and the singers. And then because I am a singer, I kind of like, once I met these young artists, I kind of told them, Hey, I also sing. I just finished my master's degree in that. And then I think they kind of, um, you know, I don't want to say respected me more for that because respect should not come off of my degree, but I think that they uh, were more inclined to be welcoming to me because sometimes yeah. singers at these programs kind of like keep to themselves, but they were willing to branch out to the interns, which I appreciated. And, you know, we had a lot in common, so it was easy that way, but yeah, that sort of a program, you, you do instantly bond with people. You don't have to become best friends with everyone, but um, I mean, my previous guest, Remington, I met him through that. Yeah, that was also kind of a unique experience where I didn't feel like I had to go out of my way to meet anyone. It just kind of happened. So I've been really lucky, but I know that there's plenty of people out there probably even listening to this podcast that are like considering moving somewhere or have been nervous to do so because they don't yes. have anyone. And like, if you move somewhere, if you get a job, let's say you're in a career where you might want to move somewhere different for your job, like you might be really worried about not knowing a single person wherever you go. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've been also lucky to have awesome coworkers um, here in Oklahoma, my closest friends, I work with them, but um, it takes a little time to establish that coworker relationship. So like kind of how when I moved to Wyoming and I had that two week really like down and depressed phase, um, then I think I finally branched out into that hiking group and I was like, okay, you know what? It's all fine. It's all okay. Um, it is like you mentioned, you know, I was going in Wyoming and Oklahoma. I was going into situations where people already had their circles established. They already had their families established. Um, and they were already close with their coworkers. So um, it can be really intimidating. But yeah, those groups, um, essentially everyone in that group, everyone's been there. Everyone's been to their first event in that group and they know how that feels. And I think every time we have a new person in the running group I'm in now, you know, just being super welcoming and making sure to meet everybody, just kind of knowing how it feels to be that new person. But um, that's what's great about groups is you've, everyone's been there. Everyone knows what it feels like. So 
um, it's super cool. But yes, I would recommend it to anybody. Um, Trail Sisters is what I'm in now, but there's so many different names and different groups. And of course, you know, there's groups for for anyone's allowed to join as well. Um, there's like a road running group in my town. They do once a week. It's just all sorts of stuff. Yes. Oh my gosh. Well, you are doing amazing, amazing things in Oklahoma and your path is just so inspiring. So I'm so grateful that you agreed to be on the podcast. <laughs> well, thank you, Emily. You're also super inspiring, but <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> like I said, I always love calling and catching up with you because I'm like, what is she doing now? And what is her story of the month? <laughs> True. I always have some some sort of story, but this time I wanted to hear about yours. So anyway, thank you so much again, Lauren, and uh, tune in next week for the next episode. We're nearing the end. We're, this is episode 10, and there will be 12 episodes in the season. So um, then we'll take a little bit of a hiatus and be back for season two. So yeah, tune in next week. Thanks, everyone.